And we are live another episode of Business and Buckets, episode 96. I cannot believe we've come this far and we didn't come this far just to come this far. A lot of awesome things coming down the pipeline. Uh, lots of sports to talk. Great MMA this past weekend. UFC 278 this Saturday. And I'm just fired up, man. Um, this past weekend, I went and camped out in Rialto Beach, Washington, out on the coast of Washington. One of my favorite places, if not my favorite place in the state. And uh, the moment I had went there, I knew I wanted to go camping there, have a night. And boy, what a night it was. Outside of having to actually like walk your camping shit about a mile to go camp because you can't camp right out by where you park. Uh, it was perfect. I mean, we were getting set up, literally orcas, probably five of them, hunting sea lions about 200 yards from the beach. Uh, Rialto Beach is very unique that it literally goes from shallow to a huge cliff uh, of um, feet dropping in the water. So it goes from very shallow to very deep very quickly. And obviously that was uh, resonating as... A couple orcas just literally chewing up a sea lion right in front of me in the wild. I mean, you can't write this shit up. Uh, it was a super moon and a meteor shower that night. Having the clear ocean sky view, uh, it was phenomenal. And um, as I wrap up my last couple months here in Seattle, this will be my ninth here this fall, right before I leave, I'm just trying to soak it all up. In three weeks, I was in 11,000 feet up in the... Uh, Green Lakes in Wyoming, right in my back door where I'm from. 11,000 feet looking at the Tetons, the sunset, with my cousins in Mount Rainier the next week, camping and boating, to now being on the Washington coast. I'm recharged, refreshed. Uh, I, I always urge people to connect with nature. Um, here I am with this screen. I'm getting recorded by this screen. I have this screen in front of me. During work, I work from home. I'm staring at screens. I'm focusing. It's important to disconnect. Literally no cell service, highly recommended, phone off, something of that nature, recharge, because it gives me the energy to kick ass, take names, and uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, some wholesome shit. Uh, I'm super excited about what's to come with the podcast, because I ain't going anywhere. Uh, this is something I'm passionate about. I've invested in it. I put time in it. I figure, I'm figuring it out. I'm going to continue to figure it out, and I'm excited to get a team around me to be able to do this, because a one-man show, it's hard to do. Um, and I want to be able to have experts to be able to give you guys the best content in the best way, the most consumable way. But speaking of energy, I mean, I'm feeling it today. And a big reason I'm feeling it is because I've been week 10 of working out and using Fueled Supplements, the one and only sponsor here at the Business and Buckets podcast. And whether you guys are trying to run a 4040, lift over 400 pounds, or just enjoy life for another 40 years... Field Supplements has a variety of products that align exactly to your specific goals. So head to fieldsupplements.com and use promotion code buckets for 15% off. Once again, promotion code buckets, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. And I know for me, you know, the live, enjoy life for another 40 years. I don't want to be that old guy that's sitting in a, a rocker that can't do much, you know, is more of a liability, uh, especially, uh, you know, I would love to be a father one day being a father uh, I don't want to be the father that can't go skiing or, you know, can't hike or do whatever kind of activities that uh, my kids are wanting to do. 
wanting to be fit, fit wanting to be active and uh, super you know excited and proud of the family at Fueled Supplements definitely helps me out myself as well. Enough about that wholesome shit. Let's talk MMA uh, and what's going on around in the MMA world. There was some fights booked this week. I'll tell you what. Um, on Monday, I think I had about three fights booked on this sheet. You know, it's early afternoon Wednesday. Uh, I was going to record this last night, but I was like, ah, I'd rather watch Hard Knocks, Dana White Contender Series, you know, put those on there. And then since then, it's been like fight booked, fight booked, fight booked, fight booked. Shit's been going down. And one that really caught my eye, Ryan Span, Dominic Reyes, Dominic Reyes coming back. I knew when he had that interview on the MMA hour, he'd be back sooner than later. And oh boy, is that going to be a banger. Um, a fight that had been rumored is now finalized. Jared Cannonier, Sean Strickland, October 15th main event. Can't wait for that one either. Derek Brunson, Blonde Brunson versus Jack Hermanson, the Joker and Blonde Brunson. What a brawl. What a grappling match that can be. Ex-Ultimate Fighter winner, Mike Trezano taking on Sungwoo Chu. Excuse me, Sungwoo Choi uh, in another awesome matchup. On the women's side of things, Lena Landsberg taking on Carol Rosa will be coming up. Tim Means, Max Griffin, some veterans there. The Airman is back, Charles Air Jordan versus Nathaniel Wood. I mean, two prospects on the up and up. That is going to be some must-see TV. Meatball Molly back in the octagon. No Patty Pimblett on this card. But she'll be in back in MSG taking on Aaron Blanchfield. Um, you know, entering the rankings, fighting some, some uh, higher-level competition. Eric Anders versus Kyle Dacus in action. Banger alert. Uh, Tagir Ulenbekov versus Nate Maness. Rayoni Barcelos versus Tevin Jones. And probably the one that got me the most fired up. You got to be fired up with ruthless Robbie Lawler's in the octagon. And he's taking on Santiago Ponzanibio. That's going to be a brawl at UFC 282 in Abu Dhabi. The Sugar Show, Pewter Jan, Aljamain Sterling, TJ Dillashaw. I mean, I, I literally looked at tickets. I'm about to move, though. It just does not make sense. But I thought about Fight Island. The Oz Island, I'm on my way. I mean, I wish I could. Maybe the podcast one day will get us there and I could break shit down for you guys. Uh, Steven Thompson, Kevin Holland, uh, Wonder Boy and Big Mouth. That is going to be legit. Um, that was actually a fight I thought would be booked as well as this one. You know, I predict these things. Uh, Mark Madsen, Drakkar Close. That'll be a scrap. And lastly, Misha Serkinov, Alonzo Menafield. I mean, scraps for days. The UFC continues week in, week out, putting out fucking bangers. And these are all to come this year. Uh, we'll break down this fight once we talk about this past weekend's fight night card in San Diego. Uh, but Nina Nunez officially retiring. Probably the most shocking news for me this week uh, in fighter announcements was Shane Burgos signing with the PFL. I watched the interview on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani, and uh, Dana White came out. I guess he got interviewed by Yahoo Sports and says, yeah, we fucked up by not uh, signing Shane Burgos. But supposedly the PFL, you know, he had already had an offer by them before, shut it down. 
built his brand in the UFC, got a new offer. It was probably two, three, four, five times what the UFC was offering. Um, he's talking about being a millionaire. I'm not surprised. Plus, he has the opportunity in a tournament fashion to win another million. Um, you know, it's going to be hard for the UFC to compete, but Dana White supposedly pissed off. You know, maybe he would have thrown some higher numbers out there. Because, man, Shane Burgos scraps all of his fight completely, like, fight of the night type fights. And his name is Shane. You can't get any better than that. He's 31 years old in his fucking prime. I mean, last fight, Charles Jordan, Scrap, Billy Quarantillo, Edson Barboza, Josh Emmett. I mean, those fucking fights were insane. So Shane Burgos in his prime going to the PFL. Um, I know he doesn't want to overlook opponents, but he should be waxing those divisions. And he's even thinking about maybe going up to 155. Um, Dana White uh, uh, saying that he will not raise fighter pay while he runs the UFC. Same old song and dance. He's sticking to his guns. Unless this is unionized, it's just the, the case of what it's going to be. And for that to happen, all the fighters would have to stop fighting, band together, and I just don't see that happening. On last night's Dana White Contender Series, a pretty decent episode, not as good as the second episode, uh, but impressive win by Sadika, uh, Sadikov. Um, I forget what country he's from, but the first fighter from his country trying to represent the UFC in the very tough lightweight division. Very good win. He gets a contract. In the women's fight, Cohen versus Leachy. I thought both looked like UFC talent. Um, you know, it did go to decision, but Cohen did get the UFC contract in the bantamweight division. She is 30 years old. And then uh, I was surprised this fight got a contract, but Jose Johnson getting a contract after basically getting taken down and held most of the fight uh, somehow got the victory, and he gets a contract in the bantamweight division. Uh, Cludio Ribeiro got a 25-second knockout. That's the one that went viral. Uh, the guy trying to spinning fist, and he just landed one clean on the button. And then Esteban Robotics. After a knockout in the first round, also getting a UFC contract. So a couple finishes, pretty good, solid fights. I thought that lightweight fight had the best talent. Uh, Sadikov looks to be a, a pretty fucking solid fighter. Um, and then the PFL uh, announcing that they're trying to push for Chris Cyborg versus Kayla Harrison, offering them a million dollars for the fight, two million dollars for the winner. Um, this past weekend in the PFL, not a very notable card for, for me anyways, you know, on our breaking down purpose, but Anthony Pettis getting worked again by Stevie Ray. Uh, again, a lot of the wrestling, uh, well being used for Stevie Ray. Um, Anthony Pettis tapped out to like some sort of body triangle last time and blamed that, you know, I'm waiting for the playoffs now in the semifinals, supposedly broke both of his hands, uh, but he suffers another loss, tough run in the PFL for Anthony Pettis. But like Shane Burgos said, a lot of the ex-UFC guys going to the PFL, it's past their prime. Shane Burgos, 31 years old. The PFL getting a dog. The PFL this weekend, also featherweight and women's lightweights. I don't know a lot of the fighters that are worthy of talking about. This will be going down. Let's see, last time it was Saturday. This time it is Saturday as well. Uh, we have Kayla Harrison versus Martina Jindrova. I don't know a ton about her. Seems like a decent fighter, but um, let's see what the Kayla show can do moving forward. 
And then in Bellator, I got to have a chance to witness Usman Nurmagomedov. Um, he did work in Tacoma at the EQC. He demanded a uh, shot at the title. Uh, Jesus, a shot at the title. And there's a lot of people calling for Pitbull's name. But Usman getting the fight against Patricky Pitbull on November 18th. Um, you know, I think there's a few guys that are calling for that fight that could potentially beat um, Patricky, and this is going to be a very interesting fight. Obviously, Bellator trying to push the Nurmagomedov, um, you know, fandom, so to speak. Uh, that was the highlight of Bellator in Tacoma. Some decent fights, but the fact that Khabib was there coaching the corner, and um, obviously Usman is going to be a big part of Bellator's rise. Also in the PFL, I should have talked about this earlier, but forgot Rory McDonald retiring after uh, losing in the first round knockout. So, you know, tough couple last fights for Rory. Obviously, he's a vet OG. He's been there for a long time, uh, a past UFC veteran. So he hangs up, puts his gloves in the octagon. So a couple veterans uh, retiring this past weekend in MMA. Also in Bellator, uh, Gody. Yamauchi defeated Neiman Gracie, another part of the Gracie Heritage tree with a via round two knockout. And then Aaron Jeffrey defeating Austin Vanderford via first round TKO. Uh, you know, he's most well known for dating Paige Van Zant, uh, but an actual solid fighter in Bellator uh, tasting defeat by Aaron Jeffrey. Pat Downey, uh, solid collegiate wrestler, defeating Kayas Nelson via first round submission. He continues his terror. He's going to be a fan favorite. I'm, I'm sure of it. Elsewhere in the world of martial arts, there's a lot of action this weekend. Um, Anthony Joshua versus Alexander Usyk this Saturday. The rematch Usyk with the with the the crazy victory last time. Um, you know I'm going to be tuning in if possible. BKFC this Saturday as well. Mike Perry taking on Michael Venom Page from Bellator. He was awarded uh, the ability to fight BKFC versus the crazy-ass Mike Perry. Uh, Paige Van Sant was supposed to fight this weekend, but she got uh, withdrawn from the card, getting rescheduled, supposedly. Um, some drama going on there, but where Paige is, there's always drama. And then Frank Gore versus Le'Veon Bell, the boxing match rebooked for September 10th. After the allegations of Frank Gore, I did not expect this to get rebooked, but it's going to happen you know, I'll tune in and watch the highlights. I probably won't actually watch the fights. I'll see who won, that type of thing. Um, but, you know, Le'Veon Bell supposedly trying to take this boxing seriously. I know he used it as a training, conditioning, um, you know, method in the NFL. Um, but, yeah, he held out. I'm a Steeler fan, still pissed off, so screw him. Well, let's talk UFC fucking fight night, San Diego. Picks-wise, I've been on a heater the past few weeks. I did not put down a parlay this weekend, and I am glad. Um, a lot of these fighters, I'm not as well, you know, don't have as much knowledge on them or, you know, have the confidence rating. Uh, but I went 2-4 and four in picks this week, so back down to reality. Go Shane with his picks. Um, but a fight we did not talk about. Impressive win. Quick win by Josh Quinlan over Jason Witt in the prelims. Um, we're going to start with Tyson Nam with the upset. My first fight, uh, getting picked wrong for the night. First round knockout over Odie Osborne. This earned him a performance of the night award. And this really started the way I thought it would. And that was with Odie using his length. I thought he'd be chipping away at him like he did. 
I expected him to use his five-inch reach advantage, which he did. And um, the funny thing about it is I showed on the telecast that 80%, 88% of the time, if a fighter has five-inch reach advantage or more, they win. Well, Nam was not having it. I figured this would be the toughest test to this day for Odie. Tyson Nam is no joke. He's a true vet with some serious power in the flyweight division. And uh, he put Odie into deep waters, right? Odie looked pretty solid throughout the beginning of the first round. Um, but Nam was coming at him with, with a lot of combos, which that's what you have to do to break that reach, right? You have to get in close. You can't do the a jab and, and a follow-up right you know, hook or whatever. You have to do a, like three or four to get in there when someone's got to reach that big. And Tyson was not afraid. He landed a huge right that sat Odie down. Um, and this is all from Odie uh, trying a flying knee for the second time in one round, which uh, sometimes you could just do a little bit too much. And Nam knew it. Once he was, you know, knee up in the air, your whole body's up. He was loading up a right hand. So right as he landed, he hit him, knocked him down. And for me, I just feel like this is going to be a big learning lesson for Odie. He's still young, but you can't get too crazy with the extra shit. Um, I know it can look fancy. It could do well. But when you're fighting a sound veteran like that, it's just a little too much, right? A little too much sugar uh, uh, on the pie there. Statistically in this fight, Nam landed 13 total and significant strikes with that knockdown compared to Odie's 15 total and 15 significant. Odie now has his two-fight winning streak coming to an end and starts a new losing streak. He is 3-2 and two since 2021, so he has been very active on his rise, while Nam starts a new winning streak and is 1-1 one one since 2021. So what's next for these gentlemen? How about Nam versus Manel Kopp? Um, I think that would be a great fight. I'm surprised they have not fought actually already. And Odie, how about Zalgis Zumagalov? I think that would make a ton of sense. Um, that flyweight division, man, the more and more I tune in, uh, the deeper and higher quality I feel like the fighters are becoming. And a few years ago, the UFC thought about cutting that weight class. What a shame that would have been. And what happens to be Nunez's last fight, Nina Nunez, with a split decision over Cynthia Calvillo. I also got this fight wrong. And this was just Nina's going away party, right? Uh, she looked the best she had ever looked in, in the striking department, in, in my opinion. Uh, but she said she wants to focus her energy on having babies with Amanda, being a mother, which, you know, she is older in the division. She's a true veteran. She's already went through one birth, fighting, coming back, looking to be in the best shape in this division. Um, you know, first time in the flyweight division, she looked at home. She looked fast. She looked crisp in her striking and she probably could have had a couple more wins on her belt, but that is not a priority. Obviously, Amanda doing her thing as well. She had talked about wanting to coach uh, fighters. I don't know if it's just women or fighters in general. Uh, uh, power to you, to the women power there. Um, but on Cavillo's side, I thought she fought you know, a, a hell of a fight. This was a very close fight. Um, in round two, she took over. She did what I thought she would majority of the fight. And she went to wrestling. She got the takedown. But even when she had her taken down, she wasn't as aggressive as she needed to be. She wasn't looking for shots. She was just kind of holding her there, maybe looking to grind out that cardio. And it didn't really pay off because in round three, um, you know, she, she wasn't as aggressive as she needed to be either. Uh, but what I thought really made the difference was Nina Nunez's calf kicks. 
She was landing a lot of calf kicks. It was clearly bothering Cavillo. I mean, by round three, Cavillo just did not have, you know, the ability to put the pressure on her leg, probably, you know, use the anchor to have the power in her punches. But for Cavillo, you're on a losing streak. You're fighting a veteran that's older than you. You got to be aggressive, right? I saw it in round two, but even in round two, you get the takedown. You're not doing enough. So definitely a tough stretch for Cavillo. Statistically, Cavillo landed um, 66 total and 48 significant strikes. She did have three takedowns uh, compared to Nina's 47 total and 39 significant strikes. Now, Nina obviously finishes her UFC career with a one-fight winning streak. She was 1-1 one and one in 2021 or since 2021 after her two-year layoff being a mother. Um, she did have a four-fight winning streak to enter the rankings, and she beat Angela Hill in her career. So had a hot streak that's what got her in the rankings, had a baby, came back, one and one, beat Angela Hill on the on her way up. So she's had quite a good career. Calvillo is now on a four-fight losing streak. She has not won since June of 2020, and she drops two spots in the rankings to number 14. What's next for Cynthia? I would assume somebody like Amisha Tate would be fun or J.J. Aldrich, uh, but we don't really know what weight class or what Misha Tate's plans are moving forward after her last loss. And then another woman's fight in the prelims before the main card. We had Angela Hill with the unanimous decision over Lupe Godinez, and this is one where I was committed to going with the underdog. The dog came, the dog ate, and showed some bark while she was at it. I mean, Angela Hill, she's one of the original women's fighters, like true OGs if you're a UFC fan. And uh, you love to see it. She's been looking good and, and, and has suffered some tough, close bouts. But she's always fought really good competition. This fight did not start out good, though. I mean, Loopy had some shots. And uh, it definitely rocked Angela. But she was able to get into some specific positions uh, you know, kind of chill out a little bit and recover, which is very impressive. And then the post-fight interview, Angela said, yeah, thanks, Loopy, for, for you know, hit me in the fucking mouth. That woke me up and got my shit together. And um, I think she was just able to help or continue to keep Loopy at distance at that point. She was able to land multiple combination combinations following up with big body and, and head kicks at, at the end of those combinations. And... Just like the Nina fight, this was a very close fight. I did think uh, Angela took rounds two and three, although she did get you know fucked up in round one. She still landed some own strikes in there, so it didn't warrant a 10-8 uh, round for me. But big le learning lessons in this fight for Loopy, one of the better names that she's fought in her career. She's only 28 years old. I'm sure we'll see her back. She does have some serious power for this division, and I'm sure she'll be back better than ever. Statistically, Hill landed 88 total and 85 of those significant strikes with a takedown, although it was in six attempts. So, you know, Loopy, good takedown defense. I'm sure she had that prepared coming in. And Loopy landed 98 total and 92 significant strikes with a takedown and three attempts of her own. So Angela starts a new winning streak after that brutal three-fight losing streak. She stays in the rankings at 13. And Loopy ends her two-fight uh, winning streak to start a new losing streak. But again, I'd expect her to be in the rankings in no time. So what is hypothetically or logically next for these women? Well, how about Angela Hill? She's fought pretty much everybody. So, you know, 
just to be honest, she's kind of the gatekeeper at this point. So let her take on Emily Ducate, who just fought recently, looked really good. That'd be a good test for her entering the rankings. I mean, Angela is at number 13. And for Lupi, I could see Kanako Murata. I think that would be a great fight back for her on her redemption tour, so to speak. And then in the main card, this fight I was hyped for. I thought this was probably going to be fight of the night. I was really excited to see how these two veterans went down. And uh, Gerald Mearshart had a third-round submission over Bruno Silva via guillotine. And I was pretty shocked at how this fight went. went. The Angela fight, the Nina fight, the Nam fight, not too surprised. This one, I was shocked. I mean, Gerald was able to make Silva uncomfortable while striking and boxing throughout three rounds. I thought Silva was going to have an easy edge there. And was going to look to maybe get a finish unless uh, Gerald got him into some weird position like he does and, and gets a submission victory. Well, not only did he outstrike him, but he was even able to take him down and wrestle him. And, you know, props to Silva for showing his toughness as he wouldn't let Gerald finish him standing because he rocked him a few times. But Silva didn't look like himself to me, especially on this, you know, reign that he was on before the loss to Alex Pieta. Um, but, hey... You know, Gerald's been there uh, against everyone. Props to him. He, he's sharpened his striking. He's really become a well-rounded fighter. Um, but how about another submission victory for GM3, man? Up to 27 finishes via submission. I mean, golly. But, I, I, yeah, I didn't think Gerald would just be better everywhere. Um, Gerald did land 61 total and 49 significant strikes with the takedown. One takedown and six attempts. Um, a lot of those are like leg sweeps up against the cage. I don't really feel like it was it was you know typical wrestling takedown singles doubles. Um, and then he did have a submission attempt compared to Silva's thirty eight total and twenty nine significant strikes. Almost with anyone in the division, if you would tell me Silva had landed only thirty eight total and twenty nine significant strikes in three rounds. I would assume he's fighting a wizard defensively and someone who, who is just controlling the fight. Um, that just shows how good of a performance this was by GM3. Gerald now starts a new winning streak. He is 1-1 one one this year in 2022. Bruno is now on a two-fight losing streak, both this year. After he had an impressive seven-fight winning streak, he was running through people, and he probably was the toughest test for Piera, uh, Alex Pieta to date. But what I would love to see is Gerald take on the young Brendan Allen with a performance like that, move him up, give him some some young blood that, that's right up there near the top 15. And for Bruno, how about Chris Curtis or Ian Heinish? I think those would be great bouts for him. How about Nate the motherfucking train, though? Nate Landwehr with a majority decision over David Onama. Clearly fight of the night right here. And uh, I think this may have been one of the craziest fucking fights I've ever seen. If you tune into Business and Buckets religiously, I probably say that here and there. I mean, you can't think of like, let me go through. I can't anyways. And remember all the craziest fights I've watched. But this warranted that title. I'm not saying that just to say that. I mean, Onama came out hard in round one. You know, I figured he'd come out as the crisper striker, get the job done. But I think he gassed himself out. I mean, he had Nate rocked, but Nate is a motherfucker. He was not going to give up, and he does what he usually does. 
He came forward and out-dogged his opponent. I mean, he straight out-dogged Onama. You want to fuck me up? Cool. Well, I'm going to keep coming at you. And after a very brutal round two for Onama, I mean, things change quickly. Round one, he's fucking up Nate, piecing him up on his feet, gasses himself out for doing a little bit too much. Nate starts coming on uh, late round one. Well, late or, you know, ding, ding, round two starts, and Nate the train is a full fucking locomotive. He was coming in and getting the shit done. Um, I thought it was crazy because in round two, just to give you some, you know, uh, idea of how bad it was, taken down three times, he was struck 65 times in a round and somehow stayed alive. I mean, going into round three, you, you know, it looks like he looked like Aljermaine Sterling in round four in the first Peter Dion fight. He could barely stand. He had no energy whatsoever. And James Krause, you could hear him in the corner even saying, hey, man, do you want to continue to fight? He wanted to make sure that his fighter could keep fighting and taking a beating. And, uh, you know, some, some, you know, for your coach, you want to worry about your fighter's health. You know, at this point, he's probably not going to get a win. That was a 10-8 round. Um, but Onama continued. I don't know where his mindset was. You know, he didn't really say much. Uh, but round three, both fighters pretty much gassed. You know, they, they're... You know, Nate's being a little bit more aggressive at the beginning. He's got a better tank, but he starts gassing himself out. Him and Onama both try to wrestle in this round, and they are just throwing all the big power shots they could. I mean, Nate had Onama on his back by basically knocking him down and just let him get on his feet. Well, Onama connected on a few. He should have just finished the fight. I mean, he had him knocked down. He's over there doing the showmanship, getting the fight fans fired up, which is great and all. Um, but then Onama comes up with a big right. I think another combo and another big right and fucks Nate up to the point where it was like, holy shit, Onama might knock him out at the end of this fight. Like, what in the fuck is actually going on? Um, in that round, both fighters had been on top. They had rocked each other. And just gassed themselves out multiple times. These guys gave it every fucking thing that they had. And, uh, you know, uh, the game's been ship and the, and the hyping of the crowd was fun. Um, I think it was a little extra. He did it probably four or five times. But how about that post-fight speech? He said, mama didn't raise no bitch. And all the other things he said was fucking awesome. He said he was a, a WWF fan back in the day on the MMA hour with Ariel Hawani was talking about that. Uh, but, but way to, to set up a promo, um, way to, you know, win the crowd over, get the energy going, set up the main event. Well, um, there was supposed to be Alexa Grasso fight. Here's the co-main. Another thing happened. This ended up being it. The opponent had switched for Nate and he came in, showed out. I'm sure he had won lots of fans because I didn't know a lot about him, but now I fucking know about Nate, the train. He ended up landing 133 total and 91 significant strikes with three takedowns and four attempts. So pretty easy on the wrestling. Two submission attempts and a reversal. That's how wild this fucking fight was. It was everywhere. Compared to Onama's 79 total and um, 61 significant strikes, Onama had a takedown and six attempts of his own. Why he was trying to wrestle, I, I mean, he probably doesn't even know he was trying to wrestle. Uh, one reversal and a knockdown. So Nate now extends his winning streak to do to two while David ends his own two fight winning streak and is two and two in the UFC. 
Where does Nate the Train go from here in the MMA hour? He called out any big name in the division, but I would love to see him against Alex Caceres, Bruce Leroy. I would love to see it. And then Onama versus Steven Peterson. I think that would be a great matchup. Either way, these two tune in on, on the next fight. You, these guys are matched up on an, another card. We got to tune in. Um, the main event, Marlon motherfucking Vera, fourth round knockout over Dominic Cruz, a performance of the night bonus here as well. I mean, how about Marlon Vera's fights? I mean, they're fucking interesting. This, the, you know, if this was a three round fight, Cruz would have dominated him. Dom was quick. He was aggressive. And he was just a smoother fighter, uh, especially in round one, until Vera knocked him with the jab that sat his ass down. I mean, sat his ass down, completely connected on the dot perfectly. And we knew one thing entering round one, or after round one. Dom's timings got him confused. He's faster. He could wrestle him. But Cheeto's got the power advantage, and... um, any shot could probably knock Dom out. I mean, we've seen Dom get knocked down quite a few times in the Munoz fight against the Garbrandt fights. So I don't think there's a ton of surprise there. And a lot of his, you know, slight tricks, you know, they're on tape. Everybody knows Dom's movement, his dips and ducks and everything's, you know, his, his lateral movement. But, you know, Dominic Cruz besides Sean O'Malley is my favorite fighter. And it looked good. It felt good to see him look fucking good. I mean, he looked good in the Munoz fight. He's still doing his things. All these injuries, being an analyst, and he still shows out. Um, round two, Mora Cruz confusing Vera. With his movement, his footwork, he is outpointing him. And at this point, Marlon hasn't thrown a lot. So you're wondering, is he just wanting a knockout shot? Is he just waiting for Cruz to tire himself out? Now it's a five-round fight. You know, he has a lot of five-round experience. I really wasn't sure where it was going to go. I was just curious to wonder to know what his game plan was coming in. Was that the plan? Wait for a knockout shot? Was it let him let himself tire him out? I, I'm not too sure. But it also could be that they had a game plan. Cruz destroyed that game plan. He was taking it to him. And then uh, something that Marlon had gotten insight in before the fight but in this specific round, Perillo told him to follow his big right hand with a big kick. He caught Dominic dipping down, and it sounded like a fucking tree branch snapping. I mean, clean leg kick right to the fucking head. It did not sound good at all. Cruz bounced back after being knocked out, tried to st- stand up, couldn't stand up. I mean, it was a big-time fucking knockout shot. Um... Anyways, brutal spot for Cruz. This is his first loss outside of being a title fight in the UFC. Bonkers. That shit's bonkers. Uh, Marlon put, puts himself that much closer to a title shot. You know, Dom was actually ranked lower than him, so I don't know what, what it really does. Um, but what's crazy? I mean, Marlon's on a four-fight winning streak. And in three of these four, he was losing and getting out point through like two to three rounds. But his durability and big-time power shots just ended the fights. It got him through it, right? I mean, yes, the you know, a lot of the scoring now is based on damage. So in that Rob Font fight, you could say he was winning the whole time. But Font was landing a lot more shots, right? In a, in a point system, he was still doing things. He was landing power. Cheeto just wears it really well. 
Frankie Edgar was waxing Marlon Vera throughout the fight. Gets that front kick, smashes his face in, right? Um, I, I, I'm not trying to be a Cheeto hater. Obviously, him and Sean have some beef. I think that'd be a great rematch. I just don't know. You know, Dom's not in his prime. Still high level. We saw that. He looked great. If he could fight Pewter Yan, we already saw what happened in the Aldo fight, right? He's lost to some guys, Song Yudong. If he could fight TJ, if he could really win the title fighting this way, because everyone else is going to have power. These other guys have more power than what Dom had. You're not just going to pick and choose your moments to try to find the knockout. Maybe you can, um, but he's got to be able to evolve more and he's got to be able to compete more. He talked about in the MMA hour, not wanting to do as many low kicks because of the way Dom was fighting. Um, but I'm really intrigued to see what he does next. He is a great fighter, great story. Love to hear it. So don't want to be a hater. But it is crazy that he's got on this winning streak and at points have been outclassed in multiple rounds by these fighters. When we look at the stats, Marlon landed 63 total and 61 significant strikes with three knockdowns compared to Cruz's 100 total and 92 significant. Cruz had two takedowns and seven attempts. The first few takedowns was pretty simple. Later in the round, I think he was doing more so takedown attempts to keep Marlon guessing. Um, but yeah, uh, Marlon stays at number five in the rankings after his four fight winning streak. Cruz ends his two fight winning streak. He is two and one since recovering from injuries and he stays at number eight as well. So they just stay put in the rankings. So what the fuck's next? Well, the Bantam weight division is a log jam. A lot of fighters are booked. Vera could just, you know, kind of wait and let things shake out. Or he could take on the winner of Corey Sanhagen and Song Yedong, right? He already fought Song and lost. That could be a redemption. Um, I would actually, at this moment, take Corey Sanhagen. That would be a great fight. Um, while Cruz, how about Frankie Edgar retirement fight in MSG at the end of the year? That's a few-month turnaround, big knockout like that. He might not want to do that. But I think that would be great. That would be a great ending. And how has Frankie Edgar and Dominic Cruz not fucking fought before? You know, Tell me that. Um, but solid little fight night card, San Diego. I was in um, Rialto Beach, so I did not watch it. I um, had watched the replays on Sunday uh, when I got back home. And uh, I was super hyped for that Marlon Vera fight. And it went, you know, pretty much about how you'd expect. But as a Cruz fan, you know, I gotta, I'm going to just be honest with my bias. It just felt good knowing that he's still fighting at a high level. Uh, my first real... I don't know if this is technically true. I think my first favorite fighter was Matt Hughes, and then it was BJ Penn. And right at BJ Penn, I was really close there with Randy Couture as well. But watching BJ Penn go out the way he did, I mean, you know, there's a time and a place, and he definitely was past his time. I love that Cruz is still out here, you know, showing off, doing doing the damn thing. His first loss that wasn't a title fight in the UFC. Golly. But this weekend, we're back to pay-per-view, baby. UFC 278 prelims happening on ABC, local television. The UFC has really gotten that far. Um, and it'll be on ESPN, early prelims on Fight Pass. So in the early prelims, we're going to start with Amir the Prince Albazi, 28 years old with a 14-1 and record, and the number 11 next to his name, taking on Francisco Sniper Figueredo, 32 years old with a 13-4-1 record. 
I think this is an interesting fight for the early prelims. It's a flyweight fight with a ranked fighter. I mean, two high-level flyweights. Uh, Amir is only 2-0 in the UFC, but he's won against very good opponents. He's been thrown right into the deep end. He's done well. Um, Amir is on a three-fight winning streak. He's a Bellator alum. Seven of his 14 wins are via submission and five of them via knockout. So 12 of his 14 fights are ended via finish. And Francisco is on a one-fight winning streak. He was 2-1 and one in the UFC. He is a Jungle Fight alum and former champion. And eight of his 13 wins are via submission. I believe he had a knee lock in his last fight, uh, which was after he got rocked as well. Um, you know, obviously his last name's Figueredo. Divison's a killer, so I wanted to see, you know, how, how his little, how, or I think this is older, bro, maybe. Um, you know, you wanted to see how the other Figueredo's done, so I've been, I've been watching him throughout his UFC tenure. But Amir Albazi looks like the real deal. Um, he's off to a very impressive start. I think he will beat Francisco everywhere, grappling, striking. You know, Figgy gets on the ground somewhere. Maybe we'll you know, have the jujitsu advantage. Um, but I think uh, Amir is going to build on his impressive resume. I think he's going to be ready to fight some big-time fighters in the flyweight. I'm taking Amir. And we are parlaying this weekend, boys. I'm putting him on the fucking parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. In the prelims, we got Miranda Fear the Maverick. 25 years old, 12 and 4 record, taking on Shanna the Shanimal Young, 31 years old with a 9 and 5 record. Now, this is a big time fight, right? I mean, M Miranda is trying to get that momentum swinging back to her way. This is a big opportunity for Shanna in her fourth UFC fight to, to win against a big time prospect. So, a lot on the lines here in the prelims. Miranda, she trains out of Team Elevation after changing from the house of Muay Thai. She's a brown belt in BJJ. She's an Invicta alum. She's on a one-fight winning streak, and six of her 10 wins are via submission. Now, Shanna trains out of Syndicate MMA. She's a black belt in karate, a blue belt in BJJ. She is a Dana White Contender Series Invicta and King of the Cage alum and former champ of King of the Cage. She is on a one-fight winning streak and is one and two in the UFC. Now, again, interesting fight, a lot on the line here, but I expect the popular prospect Miranda to handle business. I think she's just going to stick to what works, and that is her wrestling and grappling. I think we see a lot of that, some ground and pound, potentially a finish here. I'm taking Miranda Maverick, putting her on my parlay. We marking her down, and we getting that bread. Moving on, still in the prelims, we have Sean the Sniper Woodson, 30 years old with a 9-1 record, taking on Luis Saldana, 31 years old with a 16-7 record. Now, Woodson has been on a roll, but he will have a, a, a tough test in Saldana. You know, both fighters are early on in their UFC career. They're in their prime. They have momentum, so it should make for a great fight in the prelims. Sean trains out of Glory MMA with James Krause. He is a Dana White Contender Series and RFA alum. He's on a two-fight winning streak. He's 4-1 in the UFC. He has a 5-inch reach advantage and a 4-inch leg reach advantage. He does like to kick. Luis trains out of Fight Ready. 
He is a Dana White Contender Series LFA and RFA alum as well. Nine of his 16 wins are via knockout. Now, both fighters have good experience. They've been tested. They fight at good gyms. They're training with good guys. But how can you not like Sean's length for striking? You look at his photo on the UFC website, which, hey, bravo to the UFC. They updated their website. It is so much better. The only beef I have is it doesn't show the fighters' nicknames anymore. But his photo, it looks just like his whole body is legs and arms with a little bit of torso. I mean, it's fucking wild. Um, but I think he's just going to use that length to his advantage. He's fought really stiff competition. I believe it has made him a much better fighter. You know, he's rolling early in his prime. So I'm going to take the sniper. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. In the main card, we get Tyson Pedro, 30 years old with an 8-3 record, taking on Harry the Hurricane Hunsucker, 33 years old with a 7-5 record. Now, Tyson is a once heavily touted prospect who has been out for four years due to injuries. Um, Harry is new to the UFC, looking to keep his roster spot in the shallow light heavyweight division. But when we look at Tyson, he's got a black belt in Kempo Karate and Jiu-Jitsu. Japanese Jiu-Jitsu and BJJ, supposedly. He's on a one-fight winning streak since he's been back from injury. Before that, he had lost two, two in a row. Five of his eight wins are via submission. Three of them are via knockout. So all of his fights have been via finish. He has impressive wins early on in his career against Paul Craig and Khalil Roundtree Jr., and he does have a four-inch reach advantage in this fight. Harry has four of his seven wins via submission. Five of his losses are all via knockout. He is on a two-fight losing streak and is 0-3 in the UFC. Sometimes you get a guy in desperation. I mean, Hunsucker is fighting for his UFC career, but I'm looking to see, or I would expect Tyson to get another knockout. I think he puts Harry on the outs in the UFC. He is a massive favorite, I think more than minus 700. Um, so, yeah, I'm not taking Harry. I'm taking Tyson Pedro. But because the odds are so heavy, I'm probably not putting him in my parlay because you never know, right? It doesn't add much money to your parlay, and there's a risk. Then we have the big dogs. Marcin Tibir, Tibera. 36 years old with a 22-7 and record and the number 11 next to his name. Taking on Alexander King Kong Romanov, 31 years old with a 16-0 record and the number 13 next to his name. Now, this fight's going to be a great heavyweight showdown, the big dogs. And it's a big step up in competition for Romanov. You get these guys, they go on a winning streak, they're getting hyped. They haven't really fought the stiff competition yet. Then they get thrown in, right? That's why I thought Angela Hill over Loopy. But this time, Romanov getting a tough opponent. When we look at Marcin, he trains out of Syndicate MMA. He has a black belt in BJJ. He is an M1 Global alum and former champion. He is on a one-fight losing streak, but was on a five-fight winning streak before that fight. Nine of his 22 wins are via knockout and six via finish or six via submission. So 15 of his 22 fights via finish, and he does have a three-inch reach advantage. Romanov clearly has a wrestling background. He is an Eagles FC alum and former champion. 
He is 5-0 and in the UFC. Nine of his 16 wins are via submission and six of them via knockout. So 15 of his 16 fights via finish, only one to decision. Now, Tabira, he's a solid grappler, right? For a heavyweight, it's going to be an interesting fight because he can manage there. He doesn't have, you know, he's not just a striker with a weakness. Romanov, though, at 31 years old is in his prime. I think he hasn't taken a lot of damage in the fights that he has had. So I expect him to, to, to try to do some striking and when needed, go to wrestling. I think he's going to get the win here, climb up the heavyweight ra uh, rankings, and, and the latter at 16-0. He's a big-time prospect. I'm not betting against him. I'm taking King Kong. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. Boy, these fucking three fights right here. Woo! I mean, this makes the pay-per-view right fucking here. Jose Aldo, 35 years old, with the number three next to his name, taking on Marab, the machine, Diwashili, 31 years old, with a 14-4 and four record, and the number six next to his name. This is a massive, massive fight for both fighters' careers. And also the future of this bantamweight uh, division. If Marab wins, he's that much closer to a title shot. And if Aljo does find a way to beat TJ, things are going to get interesting. Aljo talked about moving up for Marab. He doesn't want to fight him and ruin their friendship. Um, obviously, he cuts a lot. You know, he, he, he probably walks around like 170, 175. Um, and for Jose, this might be his last opportunity for a title weight in bantamweight. His t or a title shot in bantamweight. He loses this, gets on a run, but, you know, 35 years old. I mean, he's been in the sport a long time. I just don't see him going into, you know, late 30s and early 40s um, with all the damage that he's taken and all the wars that he's been in. If anyone could do it, it's Aldo, but he knows how big of a fight this is. You get this, you're probably in for a title shot. When we look at Aldo, he is a black belt in BJJ and Luda Livre. He, is a Muay, he has a Muay Thai striking style. He is on a three-fight winning streak. He is 3-2 and two in the bantamweight division uh, since he lost to Marlon Marias in his debut. And he also lost to Peter Yan for the vacant title. He's gotten better since he's been there. His weight cuts have been cleaner. He looks thicker. 17 of his 31 wins are via knockout. Four of his seven losses are via knockout as well. He is there, I would say he is either one or two, you know, you could debate on being the GOAT for the featherweight division. He had seven successful title defenses, which is the most in division history. He came from the WAC where he also had two successful title defenses. So really had nine title defenses plus winning the titles. He was the youngest champion at 23 years old. The fact that he's only 35 still blows my mind. We've been watching Aldo forever dominating the sport. He was the 2009 Fighter of the Year. He's in the MMA Hall of Fame. He had the 2021 Comeback Fight of the Year, or he was the 2021 Comeback Fighter of the Year, and he had the 2014 Fight of the Year against Chad Mendez. Murab, he's a Sambo-style wrestler, and that's his background. He is a black belt in judo. He is a Ring of Combat alum and former champion. He is on a seven-fight winning streak, and he is 7-2 and two in the UFC. 
Now, Mrav's in his prime. He is literally the machine. He's on a roll. But I just don't think he's fought in the level of fighter that Aldo is at right now. Mrav is going to have to take Aldo down. Like, you know, that's his game plan. And, and smother him or smash him. Uh, but Jose's done well against wrestlers. I just expect him to be able to put a striking clinic on, find a way to get enough uh, takedown de takedowns defended. Plus, it's only a three-round fight, so I think that bodes well for him. Aldo's the underdog here. That's a good uh, straight bet to put uh, some, some money on, some cash money. Uh, but I'm taking Aldo. I am putting him in my parlay. We're boosting those fucking odds. Let's go, Jose. We putting them down. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Moving on. In the co-main, we have Paolo or Paolo Boroshina Costa, 31 years old with a 13 and 2 record, and the number six next to his name, taking on Luke Rockhold. 37 years old with the 16 and five record. I say this a lot, but this is a fucking interesting fight, right? It's the redemption fight for both guys. Paolo, he was undefeated. He was on top of the world. Now he's on a two fight losing streak against uh, Vittori. He was definitely a little chubby out of shape. He gassed out all that shit talking. He did for Izzy got knocked out, blamed drinking wine. I mean, it's been an up and down a uh, few years for, for Paolo. Meanwhile, Luke hasn't fought since July of 2019. He was on a two fight losing streak after losing the title shot. So he's trying to come back at 37 years old and he's looking shredded. Costa, the eraser is sculpt as ever. Um, you know, watching, I saw a, a thing online said when Paige Van, Sat, Van Zant fought Rachel Ostovich, that is the, the best fight for men to watch. This is the women's version. Paolo, Paolo and Luke Rockhold, guys are fucking shredded. Look like they should be on a GQ magazine. Well, Paolo is an orthodox fighter. He's a black belt in BJJ. He is an ultimate fighter Brazil alum. 11 of his 13 wins are via knockout. That's why he is Borashina, a.k.a. The Eraser. He is a Jungle Fight alum and former champion. While Luke is a black belt in BJJ. Again, he hasn't won since September of 2017. Eight of his 16 wins are via submission and six via knockout. So 14 of his 16 fights have been via finish. All five of his five losses are via knockout. He does have a five-inch reach advantage and a five-and-a-half-inch leg reach advantage. He's got some really quick kick, uh, quick high kicks. Uh, Paolo does, too. He is a former middleweight champion, a strike force alum and former champion with two successful title defenses. He had the 2014 submission of the year against Tim Boish, the 2015 upset of the year against Chris Weidman, and in 2007, he was the IBJJF world champion in Gi and no Gi. But I believe, I know Luke's coming in. He's talking a lot of shit. I've never been a big fan. But I think he's too focused elsewhere. He's, he's got his own cologne. He was a model. He was on reality TV. You know, he, he tries to act all zen and like he's focused and all this shit. And I know you have to be that way and you have to have confidence. But he's facing Paolo, who is on his own redemption tour and is in even better shape. 
I believe Luke has taken a lot of damage in his wars previously. I don't think he's going to be able to take the power shots from the eraser. I'm taking Costa. I'm putting the eraser on our parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Definitely betting on a knockout round in this fight as well. And then the main event. Potentially the GOAT when it's all done. Kamaru, the Nigerian nightmare. Usman, 35 years old with a 20-1 and record. Taking on Leon Rocky Edwards, 30 years old with a 19-3 and record. And the number two next to his name. Now, this rematch is going to be great. Both fighters have leveled the fuck up since they fought back in 2015. I feel like those versions were the non-Super Saiyan version, and now we're at Super Saiyan God Mode or whatever the fuck it's called. I like Leon. I really think his striking is crisp. The problem is, Kamaru is that guy. He's the Nigerian nightmare. He's too big. He's too powerful. And I know Kamaru respects him, so he's going to come prepared. I think he's going to look to wrestle him like the old Kamaru. He's not going to try to get knockout of the year like he was against Jorge Masvidal. I think he's going to look to grind out that gas tank because Leon can go. He knows he's got hands. He's going to gas him out, and he might even get a, a submission or finish of his own. Kamaru trains out of Onyx Sports. He's a black belt in BJJ. He is a former D2 wrestler out of the University of Nebraska at Kearney, where he was a national champion and All-American in 2010. At 174 pounds, he had 30 straight wins and a record of 44-1. and He is going to be in the new Black Panther Wakanda forever, so hopefully that doesn't sidetrack him here. He is on a 19-fight winning streak. He's 15-0 in the UFC. He is a Legacy FC and RFA alum. Nine of his 20 wins are via knockout. He's had five successful title defenses. He is the first Nigerian-born champion. He is an Ultimate Fighter alum and champion. His last, latest, he has the latest finish in UFC welterweight history against Colby Covington. Finished him right before the end of the fight. He has the most consecutive wins in UFC welterweight history with 15. He is the 2021 Fighter of the Year, and he had the 2021 Knockout of the Year against Jorge Masvidal with his cornrows. He's all sweaty. Hit him. That sweat went everywhere. Photo finish. Three of his five fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. His shit goes down. You got to love you, some Nigerian nightmare. Meanwhile, Leon is a purple belt in BJJ. He is on a nine-fight winning streak of his own since he lost to Kamaru Usman. He did have a no contest against Bilal Muhammad because of that accidental eye poke, but he was easily on his way to win in that fight, in my opinion. Six of his 19 wins are via knockout. Again, I really like the way Leon could move and strike. Kamaru has been fighting the best of the best. He's been the guy that everyone wants. He gets everyone's best version. And he's been best in them all, right? I think Colby Covington was probably the toughest opponent for Usman because he is so well-rounded. But Usman's made slight work of everyone, and I can't bet against him. I'm taking the Nigerian nightmare. We're putting him on that parlay, marking that ish down, and we getting that bread.
But boy, oh boy, I can't wait for this weekend's card. And after this card, they're going to make us wait a week. There's finally an off weekend at the end of the month before the September 3rd, I believe, September 3rd. Let me double check. Yep, September 3rd Fight Night card in Paris. Noon Pacific card because of the time difference. Headlined by Cyril Gaon and Tai Tuavasa. That Jose Aldo fight, Paulo Costa fight, Kamaru. I mean, golly, that's a good card. But let's shift some gears and talk MLB. Michael Brantley out for the year. Tough hit for the division-leading Astros. Huge news this week. Fernando Tatis facing an 80-day suspension for a positive test. His mom had wrote a thing blaming a ringworm medicine, but clearly... If that was the case, it has a drug that's illegal. I've always had a take on Tatis. I love him. He's a young player. But the Padres have been trying to be relevant for a long time. They finally had Tatis. They had a lot of farm system. They traded it all for big names. Now they've done a little bit too much too soon, in my opinion. But they say signed Tatis to that huge contract really early on, before he had been proven, before he had consistently been playing at a starting level. He's battled injuries, now suspension. It's not looking very good. And where there's smoke, there's fire. It seems like some of the people in the clubhouse, even teammates, I mean, he's had beef with Machado already, uh, feel a certain way about it. It's going to be interesting to see what the Padres do. They're battling for playoffs right now. They're not even a real playoff team. Uh, I mean, the struggle is real, and I think the Padres, as box office as they've been to watch, and I love going to that stadium in Petco, this is a problem. I think this is a huge problem. I, I think that uh, they might be in for a rude awakening because they went all in to get some wins now and compete for a championship, and I don't think they come close. The Rangers blowing shit up. I don't know why they wouldn't have done this a long time ago. It's like, you know, they, they had a good series against the Mariners and fire everybody. But does anyone know what the Rangers are ever doing? Um, they fire their president or their GM, Chris Woodward, and then they fire their president uh, of operations and have their GM, Chris Young, taking over. Um, I'm in the ALS as an Angel fan, so as long as the Rangers aren't winning, I'm not too mad about it. Uh, but they signed a lot of big names, spent a lot of money, and now they're blowing shit up at this point in the season. Um, really makes me scratch my head. For a team that really does have championship aspirations, and I'm not too sad about, you know, for them, Walker Bueller out for the year. He is going to need elbow surgery. Potentially could be Tommy John. Last year it was Dustin May. Now they have Walker Bueller. Tough break for the Doyers. Future Hall of Famer and MLB veteran Joey Votto out for the year. I'm glad he got to play in the Field of Dreams games. Those jerseys by the Cubs and the Reds were fucking sick. That was great. And uh, supposedly they're not going to have a Field of Dreams game next year or potentially in Iowa as they're doing some new construction or fixing up that field. I would die to go to a Field of Dreams game. As a, You know, if I'm a dad one day, that would be like, I got to take my son to the fucking Field of Dreams. Like, come on now. The, just the whole hype around it. You, you know, the players walking through the corn stalks. This shit's just, oh, it's awesome. It's, it's America right there. Um, how about the fucking Braves? The Braves are signing Michael Harris II to an eight-year, $72 million deal. And I, I think he, I saw something that he's played like 70 games. I mean, 
It's crazy that they're signing these guys so early. This is some Tatis-level shit. But here are the Braves. They have Austin Riley, stud, signed through 2032. Matt Olson, 2030. Michael Harris, now 2030. Acuna Jr., 2028. Von Grissom, that young shortstop, to 2028. Ozzy Albies, 2027. William Contreras and Spencer Strider, 2027. Max Fried, 2024. Kyle Wright, 2026. They literally have their whole core signed. And as an Angels fan, this 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 sucks to see. But, I mean, the Braves are doing some shit, man. Mike Trout's contract, $426.5 million. That equals Acuna's, Albies, Riley, and Harris's contracts combined at $419 million. Now, Trout, you know, had, had been a perennial MVP candidate and winner, had done a lot of stuff, so his stock was high. The Braves are betting early on early on these guys' career. They could get them for discounted rate, get them locked in, and they could keep the core together. It'll be interesting to see if this pays off for them. Also, the Oakland Athletics are doing very Oakland-like things. I think we will see that team in Vegas before no time. But uh, yesterday, they released Steven Piscotty. They're increasingly motivated to release Elvis Andrews because he has a frustration with playing time. So that would leave Chad Pinder as the highest paid player on the A's roster. His salary is $2.27 million. I mean, that is some fucking athletic shit right there. Now let's recap this weekend series. The Guardians beating the Blue Jays 2-1. to one. Huge for the, the Guardians as they're in playoff contention. They now lead the AL Central. They're not in the wild card hunt. They are only a half a game ahead of the Twins, and they're 7-3 and three in their last 10. The Blue Jays are in a brutal situation, 2-8 and eight in their last 10. The Rays beat the Orioles 2-1, to one, slow down the Orioles a little bit. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10. The Rays 6-4 and four in their last 10 as well, second in the AL East. The Mets beat the Phillies 2-1 to one in that crazy NL East. The Mets showing that they're still big brother. The Cardinals beating the Brewers 2-1. to one. They now sit atop the AL Central. They are currently two games ahead of the Brewers. And the Angels beating the Twins 2-1. to one. You know, I got to bring up the Angels. They're about to get swept by the Mariners, so it is what it is. Um, Yankees nine games ahead of the Rays in the AL East. We talked about the Guardians leading the Central. Astros clearly ahead in the West. And the NL East, the Mets are only three and a half ahead of the Braves. The Braves are doing what they've done the past few years, making second half runs. They're figuring it out. They have a mix of youth and, and veteran talent. Uh, they're eight and two in their last 10. Again, the Cardinals two ahead of the Brewers. The Doyers 17 ahead of the Padres. ESPN doesn't make this very easy for me to look at, so I just pull it up on my Yahoo Sports app. If you're a sports fan like, like me, the Yahoo Sports app, I think it's the best sports app. It's uh, it's fantastic. But the wild card, the Mariners sit atop the wild card, a half a game ahead of the Blue Jays. The um, Excuse me, half a game ahead of the Rays, um, a game ahead of the Blue Jays, and the Twins are a game back now that they're following under the Guardians. The Orioles and White Sox both a game and a half back. I guess you could say Boston still has a chance at four and a half back. The Braves going to lock in their spot for the first wild card, seven and a half ahead of the Phillies, and the Phillies are a game ahead of the, the Padres. The Brewers are only a game back of the Padres, and the Giants four and a half back. I wouldn't be surprised if the Padres miss the playoffs. Lots of drama. 
They don't really have a lot of leadership. Manny Machado is a great player, NL MVP, but I, I question his leadership abilities. Shit's going to get interesting. This weekend, we have some fun series. The Orioles hosting the Red Sox. You know, huge series for the Orioles at home. The Phillies taking on the Mets again, but this time in Philadelphia, trying to get some revenge, staying relevant in the wild card. AL East action is the Yankees host the Blue Jays in New York. That's an Apple TV Plus Friday night game. The Guardians hosting the White Sox. Huge AL Central battle. Can the Guardians keep winning? I think a lot of it has to do with their pitching. Their rotation has been amazing. When we look at it, they have... Um, oh, my God. ESPN, come on now. It doesn't even have their rotation listed. Well, they have Tristan McKenzie. They have Savale. They have... Um, Shane Bieber, they have, um, oh, Jesus, let me pull it up. They have so many arms, and they're all pitching solid. They're all young, but the Guardians are always going to fuck shit up. Maybe, who knows, they, uh, they signed Jose Ramirez, so, you know, they're not wanting to completely blow it up. Zach Plesak, Cal Quantrill, I mean, they got some arms, and they're doing good. The Padres, uh, I guess that's really it. A lot of the others are like Dodgers, Marlins, Padres, Nationals. But huge series, White Sox, Guardians this weekend. Braves, Astros, ALNL, that's going to be huge. Uh, so Yankees, Blue Jays, Mets, Phillies, those are the big ones to tune in on this weekend. Wrapping up with some NFL, they're introducing a Black Friday game in the future. It won't just be Thanksgiving, it'll also be Black Friday. Why not the NFL every holiday? Players must love that. Nikhil Harry out eight weeks for the Bears. I don't think he really would have done much anyways. His NFL career is probably damn near done. The Jets signed Dwayne Brown to a two-year deal after they lost their first-round pick from 2020. The Broncos signed Joe Schober, ex-Steeler, ex-Brown. The Bucks signing Carl Nassib to a one-year deal. The Dolphins tight end Adam Shaheen out for the year. Surprise cut as the first round of cuts have been being made. The Bucks cut cornerback Ross Cockrell, who's been solid for them. He played for the Bills and Steelers. Steelers' tough breaks is Carl Joseph and Anthony Miller out for the year. Both guys probably would have had playing time. For the Patriots, Malcolm Butler out for the year. Brutal for them. And then some cuts, some notable cuts. The Ravens cut Brett Hundley, ex-UCLA stud. The 49ers cut Robert Nechemdi. Nakemchi, a former Cardinals first round pick. The Saints signed John Bostick, middle linebacker for the Bears and Steelers for some time. The Niners cut Darquise Denard, former Bengals first round pick. And then Derwin James getting paid, boy. Four years, $76.4 million deal, 42 guaranteed, highest paid safety in NFL history. Uh, he could thank Mika Fitzpatrick for that one. Uh, kid's a stud, though, man. You, you knew it coming out of uh, college. Hopefully, you could stay healthy. Other sports news, Michigan State extending uh, Izzo $6.2 million a year. Uh, basically, uh, hey, we'll give you $6.2 million a year until you want to retire. Miles Brennan walking away from college football. There was going to be a huge LSU quarterback battle. Uh, he, he'd put in some time. I don't sure, I'm not too sure what caused this, but that was a surprise. 
LeBron James signing a two-year extension, $97 million to stay with the Lakers, which sets him up to be a, a free agent with options when Bronny, comes in the, Bronny Jr. comes in the NBA. And then the Lakers to retire, Pau Gasol's number 16. But we did have the NBA schedule getting released. So let's see. Here is Yahoo Sports 15 must-watch matchups. We have the Knicks and Mavericks on December 27th, right after Christmas. Sixers, Miami Heat, right? Potential playoff situation again in February, March, and April, right towards the end of the year. Those will be fun. Uh, Warriors, Celtics, uh, December 10th on ABC. Thursday night game on January 19th. Warriors, Grizz, that'll be a lot of fun. There's four of those, two in March. Celtics, Bucks, another potential playoff matchup again. Uh, you know, play, matched up the playoffs this past year, December, February, and March. Lakers, Nets, it's debatable. Just, you know, who who the hell does the Nets even put down? Um, For the Young Guns, Thunder, Magic, all the rookies, November and January. Pistons, Rockets, January and March. Clippers, Nuggets, two times in January, one in February. Let's see. Oh, yeah. No games played on Election Day, November 8th anymore. Um, the uh, play-in tournament happening in April. See, I thought I saved a thing for Christmas games. Let me pull that up real quick. You got to love your Christmas games. I'm moving to Phoenix. I already put some games down looking to watch Luca, looking to watch Giannis. My Jazz are actually in Phoenix when I'm going to be in Indianapolis, but we're going to catch a Pacers-Nets game. Um, catch the Miami Heat, catch the Sixers. It'll be nice. Probably buy a CP3 jersey. That's my guy, even though I'm not a Suns fan. On Christmas, we have Sixers, Knicks, Lakers, Mavericks, Bucks, Celtics, Grizz, Warriors, Suns, Nuggets. I'm not too sure where the Suns, Nuggets ones came from, but that is a solid slate of Christmas games. And what a solid slate of sports for episode 96. I can't wait for that UFC card this weekend, though. We have some awesome uh, cards to wrap up the year. Abu Dhabi, um, MSG, shit's going down. And I'm feeling good about those par the parlay options for this week. Um, thanks again, Fueled Supplements, for the sponsor. You guys need supplements. You want energy like I do. Go to FueledSupplements.com and save some money while doing it. Support small business. I'll see you guys next week.